fantasies. You want to know my fantasies? Yeah. Tell me what I'm up against. You want to know what I have in store for you? Yes, give it to me. Well, first I'm going to start you off nice and gentle. With a Terrano Fuji. Oh, keep going. And then I think we'll pick up the pace with oh. Takakation. Oh, yes. Oh, tell but me more. Why stop there whenever we can increase the intensity with some Daisho? Oh, I want to see his Kakanage so bad. And then I have something else I wanted to show you. Yeah? Oh, sure, yeah. Uh. And then I have a big <gasps> surprise for you. Ooh, what is it? Ichinocha. <gasps> oh, tell me more. Oh, it doesn't stop there. I want you to look at my Aoyama. Mm, yes. I just have to prepare you for one last thing. Anything. Nishiki Fuji. Oh, Nishiki Fuji. Oh, God, I'm so ready now. But wait, I want to tell you my fantasies. Show me what you got. Well, I was also thinking we could start out with a little Terra no Fuji. And then you know I have some unconventional taste. So I was thinking about maybe putting in a little Shodai. So Karaban. Yeah, you like that? What about some Waka Taka Kage? Then we're gonna start with the thrusting as we get Abi up in there. Abi. Followed up by some Kiribayama. Ooh, that beer. And then I'm gonna Midori your Fuji until you die, Amami. I'm never going to be able to listen to this. <laughs> this is too much. We've crossed the line. <laughs> I need to find a priest now. <laughs> you want some you want some ice water? <laughs> I need some holy water. <laughs> The things you make me do for this podcast. <laughs> hey, the things I do for this podcast. <laughs> All right, let's just start the damn show. Bonjour, je suis Mathieu. Et je suis Sabrina. Et c'est Sumo Punks! I will, how you say, uh, murder the authoritarians uh, and then uh, uh, subjugate the indigenous people. <laughs> <laughs> Oh <laughs> now that 
we've pissed off the entire country of France, most of Canada, a bunch of Caribbean and African nations, and anyone who took up to French 2 in high school. That is the really bad high school French opening. So. Thanks, Ms. Michelle. Let's go ahead and get this show started. This is going to be the second installment of our series of episodes on sumo in manga and anime. And yes, that's right. This one's going to be all about Baki. Baki. Mostly in the manga form, since the sumo arc has not been translated to the anime format just yet. But we still have a lot of ground to cover. A lot. Before we get into that, we do have a little bit of sumo news. First up, we discovered a brand new amateur U.S. sumo club. The Chicago Sumo Club. I believe the contact's name is Matt Shields. We found them on Instagram, at Chicago Sumo Club. Check them out if you're in the Chicago area. Yeah, we don't really know much about them, except that they added us on Instagram, so we added them back. Hell yeah, more sumo. Yeah, more sumo. We also have another reminder about the upcoming World Games. Go Team USA. The World Games starts July 7th, but the sumo competition is going to be July 9th and 10th. That's a Saturday and a Sunday. Mm-hmm. If you need to know the exact times, go back and listen to our last episode or check out the World Games website. It's all on there. Yeah, it'll be on TV. Yes, it will be on TV, or you can pirate that shit. Not that we're (laughs) recommending you do for legal purposes. Speaking of legal things, Russia had been officially banned from participating in the World Games this year, shortly after the war in Ukraine broke out, meaning no Russian citizens will be competing in any World Games competitions for 2022. In the last World Games in 2017, Russia brought home the gold for all categories in men's sumo and half of those in women's sumo. They take amateur sumo very seriously in Russia, probably more than any other country outside Japan. And the ban must have come as a huge blow. God, that whole situation just really, really sucks. Fucking sucks. But, you know, the Russians really do take amateur sumo very seriously seriously those fucking like they have a uh, pyrotechnics and shit and, like big screens it's and almost sh- like, like pro wrestling is yeah, in the US. like the w- wwe <laughs> you know very theatrical and stuff we need that here damn yeah. it <laughs> yes we demand pyrotechnics in amateur sumo in the u.s and speaking of amateur sumo in the u.s here is your team usa all right men's heavyweight Robert Foymaono, Angel De La Torre, Gilberto De La Torre, and Roy Sims II. Nice. Men's middleweight, Andrew Roden, the only sumo wrestler in Alabama. Oh, wow. Jordan Karst. He won the qualifier at Nationals without uh, really doing sumo before. And uh, he has a really cool interview on Grand Sumo Breakdown. And then Eric Huynh, who is the uh, Raijin sumo guy. All right, men's lightweight, we have the indomitable Justin Jones, the mighty Justin Kizzert, the Oyakata of Dark Circle Sumo, Texas, and the Bean King himself, Trent Sabo. (laughs) That guy had a hilarious interview on Grand Sumo Breakdown. That guy's eating beans and pissed (laughs) about it. Now for women's heavyweight, we have Eros Armstrong, Yalady Galindo, and Kellyanne Ball. I love Kellyanne Ball. 
I love all these girls. <laughs> For women's middleweight, we have Helen Del Popolo, Christina Griffin Jones, who is the wife of Justin Jones, both of Honusumo in San Diego, and then Jennifer Crook. Women's lightweight, we have Quetzal Jefferson. I thought I, her last name was Lopez. Um, Jefferson, Lopez, Quetzal. We'll double check that. Yeah. We also have Elizabeth Salazar and Liesl Rickhoff. Go Team USA! Woo! Woo! <laughs> also, on like the exact same day is the Nagoya Basho. That's right. So we live in Texas. So Saturday, it's supposed to be like from noon to like 9.30 for the World Games. And then 10.30, 11.30, midnight or whatever, that same day is whenever like the Basho comes on. So however you happen to watch it, you should watch that shit. You should watch it. You should watch the World Games and you should watch the Basho. It'll be fucking sumo-tastic. It'll be so much goddamn sumo, you won't know what to do with it. Oh God, I don't know if my body can handle that much sumo. <laughs> We did get some sad news recently about the Nagoya Basho. However, the entire Taganora stable has pulled out of the Basho due to COVID. That's Takayasu's stable. He was the uh. first one to test positive last week with a mild case. He went into quarantine, but apparently it wasn't soon enough because the entire rest of the stable ended up getting infected. I thought it was just one Makushita guy, but like since it was two I of heard them, it was like the whole damn stable. Was it? Well, shit. Yeah, they said that Takiyasu was expected to make a recovery in time for the Basho. Yeah, but that's what I was about to say. Now that his whole stable's out. Yeah, it's like either they all go or they or none of them go. Yeah. That sucks. This is not his 2022. <laughs> Poor guy. Yeah. Hopefully they give them rank freezes and they don't do what they did to Ichi Nojo and say Bastards. that they're going to give him a rank freeze and then bump him down a rank. You know, Even though did, it's only one rank. I feel like still... they did that to avoid opening extra Sanyaku slots. Yeah, you're right. They probably did. Well, that's all the sumo news we have for right now. As previously mentioned, and as you already saw in the title to the episode, this episode is all about the manga and anime known as Baki. All right, this is going to be some spoilerish shit. There are going to be spoilers falling out of every orifice of this podcast. <laughs> Seriously, we're warning you right now. If this Spoiler is, alert. If Spoiler you're super alert. invested Spoiler into Baki alert. and you haven't gotten to the sumo arc yet, Stop listening because we're going to tell you all about it. Maybe not every single minute detail, but I mean, we're going it's gonna to be fun as fuck anyway. So if you don't care about spoilers, keep listening. Yeah. <laughs> so there are several iterations of Baki. The one that most know is the Netflix series. Mm -hmm. That's how a lot of people first heard of Baki. It jumps right in, right in the middle of about 30 years worth of storyline. Baki started in 1991 as Grappler Baki, and then it kind of evolved into Baki Son of Ogre, and then there was Baki Do. And uh, the one that we're going to be discussing is the Baki Do series of 2018. So Baki is a manga. That's basically a Japanese comic book for the few of you who don't know. And it's also an anime that U.S. audiences can watch on Netflix. Specifically, the sumo arc in Baki started in 2018 and is currently running in the manga, but has yet to receive an anime adaptation. 
this manga <laughs> and anime just has such over-exaggerated, huge, muscly dudes. Even their jaws. They're, like, you can see each individual tiny jaw. They're, they have buff jaws. <laughs> yeah. Keisuke Itagaki, the creator of Baki, basically never grew out of that phase that it seems <laughs> all boys go through, where they like to draw pictures of big, huge, muscly dudes with, you know, just these fantastically bulging bodies, muscles all over the place, just super exaggerated. He just, he really loves anatomy and it really shows. And he puts a lot of incredibly stark detail into his character design. But it is very anatomically correct. Like it is every single tiny muscle that all works together. It's pretty amazing it even has nipples (laughs) well except for the anime they did take the nipples out of the anime but the manga has nipples that's important to her that is very important to both of us (laughs) and just because the anime version doesn't include nipples that does not stop it from being just as homoerotic as the manga it's hard to tell if it's on purpose or if exaggerated masculinity is just (laughs) just like that Yeah. Or, I mean, it may just be a more general type of eroticism. Even the anime has that one scene where Baki's girlfriend encounters Muhammad Ali Jr., who's, like, crying in the hallway, and she receives, like, a facial shot (laughs) of snot and tears, and it's just the grossest fucking thing. Like, you can tell they want it to be... Not just not, and it's just so fucking nasty. But anyway, we're digressing. (laughs) All right. So as I previously mentioned, Baki started as a manga back in 1991, created by Keisuke Itagaki. It now has about 145 volumes. That's 30 years worth of backstory. So there's a lot of stuff that we're going to have to skip over in order to talk about the sumo arc. First, we're going to give a brief description of some of the main characters in the sumo arc, which is currently ongoing, so more characters may be added later. So if you're listening to this episode in the year 2030 and wondering why your favorite character isn't mentioned, then that would be why. Baki is the story of a kid, Baki Hanma, who's training to kill his own father, Yujiro Hanma. This vengeance is spurred by the murder of his mother at his father's hand. So basically, he's the Luke Skywalker of non-space-themed martial arts. (laughs) Specifically (laughs) non-space-themed. So his training includes participating in brutal underground tournaments. And by underground, we literally mean underground in a secret area underneath the Tokyo Dome. There are no rules in these tournaments, and anyone who participates in a fight there is encouraged to hold nothing back. The sand lining the floor of the arena is littered with the teeth and fingernails of previous fighters. I always thought it was kind of gross whenever they, like, pick up those big handfuls of sand and it's got, like, all those, like, teeth and fingernails. and it's just The fingernails like a... specifically make me think of our bathroom. Because <laughs> you're always in there clipping your fingernails and toenails and shit well, and I then clip... just leaving them there. Well, when I clip my fingernails, they fly off and I can't find them all the time. You know? I found one in my contact lens case this morning. <laughs> I'm sorry. Well, whenever I do sumo, I can't just like, you know, scratch people up with my mitts. I know, but you're going to scratch my eyeball up if I (laughs) find another fingernail in there. Anyway, yeah. 
So Baki is basically Luke Skywalker. He's on a never-ending quest to kill his daddy. (laughs) There's just one little problem holding Baki back from completing his quest to kill his father. Baki's daddy is the strongest creature on Earth. No, not just the strongest person, the strongest creature. Creature. This badass mofo has fought lions and elephants and fucking won. Yeah, it's it's pretty ridiculous. (laughs) He's a devoted sadist, the apex predator of the entire fucking planet, and just the most evil asshole that has probably ever existed. Seriously, total dick. Everything total he does fucking is dick. And, and what gets me is there's people out there, you know, the same people that like the Joker and that like Tyler Durden. People that, out there that have that affinity for characters like this, like yeah. Yujiro Hanma. Like, and they're like, oh my god, to that's like totally Yujiro. me. Oh god. Shut up, dude. <laughs> So Yujiro Hanma is so powerful that all U.S. presidents from Ronald Reagan to present have sworn an oath of non-aggression with him, which as far as fucked up powerful <laughs> dudes go is really saying something. There's even a scene in the manga where Donald Trump gives Yujiro a Nazi salute while he stands there in a leopard print <laughs> banana hammock. All right, if you don't know what a banana hammock is, it's just like tiny little men's underwears yes. sometimes a thong sometimes not but tiny <laughs> but you have to see that seriously if you just like do a search for Yujiro Donald Trump you'll, you'll find it and it's utterly ridiculous he also ends up beating Trump up later on in the manga because he woke him up from his nap <laughs> he but didn't realize he did that's a digression <laughs> all right why don't you tell us about his son Baki all right Baki himself is just a typical awkward teen except for the blood feud and battle sculpted body in order to exact his revenge against his father Baki trains in every type of martial arts known to man and even some other weird ones in between he's even invented some techniques of his own like the triceratops fist pretty imaginative right yeah I I guess he was one of those little boys who's obsessed with dinosaurs or something well that's Baki's greatest strength His training involves imagining what a fight with an opponent would be like so vividly that the people who witness him doing this imaginary training can almost see these imagined foes themselves. Uh, If only that shit actually worked in real life. (laughs) I've imagined so many fights with people that I almost feel like even I can beat Yujiro Hanma. Do you ever imagine yourself going up against other, like, amateur sumo guys? Yes, all the fucking time. I was like, okay, well, if he does this, I'm going to do this. And it's like, and then when he does this, I'm going to do this. But it never works out that way in real life. Like, the second after they say hockey, my mind just blanks out. And then I'm just running (laughs) on fucking autopilot. But Who do you imagine most often? Who do I imagine me fighting most often? Uh Uh-huh. Oh, God. Um... Well, now it's Ooh, mostly... true confession time. <laughs> well, mainly Robert Westbrook, because he's like the <laughs> biggest wall, like right now, so... That is a big dude. He's a big <laughs> dude, and he's super fucking... He has... I could tell the dots are starting to connect with his technique, so he's going to be, like, scary. I mean, he's already scary. He's already scary. pretty formidable, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he's already scary. He's going to become scarier. Speaking of scary dudes... Baki has battled many colorful characters, and in true shonen fashion, most of them have become his most valuable allies. 
that happened to me when I was getting into fights in high school. <laughs> so one of these allies is Kaio Ritsu. He's an incredibly passionate man, especially when it comes to Chinese martial arts. And he's quite the formidable foe, but he's also very kind and gentle. He really is. Kaio is actually a title that he earned from doing a damn good kung fu. <laughs> Gooder than anyone else. <laughs> Then there's Biscuit Oliver, Mr. Unchained. Oh my god, I love this guy. <laughs> Me too. Biscuit Oliver is a totally ripped black man who really loves large white women. He's currently <laughs> Extremely ser- large white women. <laughs> He's a feeder. <laughs> He's currently serving a voluntary prison sentence. Voluntary because no one can actually keep him in the prison. He is impervious to bullets and is possibly the strongest person in North America. He also has a genius level intellect. He lives an incredibly lavish lifestyle in the penitentiary along with his girlfriend, Maria, who is so obese she is bedridden. Biscuit is what's known as a feeder, a weird fetish that encourages people to overeat. And his prison cell is pretty much a mansion on the inside. He's got books, he's got chandeliers, he's got bottles of expensive booze. It's wild. He doesn't practice martial arts. He simply believes in brute force. Another of Baki's allies is Dopo Orochi, who is probably based on the legendary Mazoyama, the founder of Kyokushin Karate, possibly the most widely practiced form of karate in real life. He is the highest level grandmaster of a fictional form of karate, Shinshin Kai, which is probably based on the real life karate tradition. It really is. There's a lot of parallels with Dopo Irochi, the Shinshin Kai, and Kyokushin. You know, they're just trying to, they're, they're fictionalizing it, I guess. Wasn't there an anime called Shinshin? I don't know. With we'll that, find it. <laughs> with that real gross, perverted little kid. Oh, no, that's Crayon Shinshin. Shin-chan, that's what it was. Shin-chan, ah, Shin-chan's shit. great. I love Shin-chan. Shit-chan, all right. Aw. Why don't you tell us about uh, the next guy? All right. So Dopo Orochi has an adopted son, right? Mm-hmm. His name is Katsumi Orochi. He is the heir to Shinshin Kai. And one of the more recent issues of Baki, Katsumi ended up losing an arm to what basically amounted to a brawny eight-foot version of Encino Man, an ancient hominid recently <laughs> unfrozen from a block of ice named Pickle. Oh my god, imagine if Brennan Fraser played Pickle. Oh my god. (laughs) (laughs) But not to worry. He ends up taking some spare parts from another character who later dies, replacing his lost arm with a new one. Then we have Kaoru Hamayana, the teenage Yakuza boss and strongman. His face and body are heavily scarred. His full back tattoo is crisscrossed with so many blade wounds that it looks like a goddamn jigsaw puzzle. His grip strength is so powerful that he can rip a chunk out of a deck of playing cards. He has literally squeezed someone's arm so hard that it exploded. Don't let him give you a hand job. Give you a white knuckler. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, God, that sounds terrible. (laughs) His favorite whiskey is also wild turkey, and he is rarely seen without a glass of it beside him. So he's basically my mom. (laughs) (laughs) Does your mom listen to this podcast? (laughs) Well, if she does, it's probably going to give her a hankering for some turkey. (laughs) 
We also have Goki Shibukawa, who is an older gentleman with a very slight frame, but very skilled in the art of Aiki, which he utilizes to turn his opponent's attacks against them. He's a typical boomer elitist who's very traditional and looks down on younger fighters, all except Baki and a couple of his buddies. He likes to feign frailty, making his opponents assume he's just a weak old man before just thrashing the shit out of him. And last but certainly not least, the catalyst for the entire Baki sumo arc. We have Nomino Sukune, a fictionalized descendant of the man who won the first ever sumo match against Taimono Kahaya, whose descendant also makes an appearance in the manga. His grip is so powerful, he can crush a lump of coal into diamond in his hand. He practices an ancient style of sumo. This includes such brutal techniques as gripping under his opponent's rib cage instead of their mawashi to execute a throw. But mm. he's also weirdly innocent and childlike. Yeah. He practices this very brutal sumo, but then he's just like a little kid, like, oh, I'm so excited to do sumo. <laughs> he really is. He does uh, the shiko. He calls them, shi- I think it's a shiko arashi. But he will stand with his leg fully extended for like an hour. And there's like little birds and butterflies just like, you know, resting on top yeah, of him. And he just stands in that position like yeah. a statue. Just chilling. These characters probably sound pretty wild for anyone who hasn't read or watched Baki yet. So imagine what sort of shenanigans they get up to when you throw a bunch of sumo wrestlers in the mix. <laughs> now, you may be thinking that sumo has too many rules to fit into a story that revolves around no holds barred matches. But sumo didn't start out with nearly as many rules as it has now. Indeed, there were barely any rules to ancient sumo. The sumo art starts with a flashback to the very first recorded sumo match. This was between Nomi no Sukune and Taima no Kahaya, the original dudes, not their descendants. And it was won by Nomi no Sukune with an extraordinarily high Shiko kick to Kahaya's lower back, severing the spine. It then flashes forward to the present day where Baki meets the enormous and imposing descendant of Nomi no Sukune, who beats him in a rock climbing contest. They have a bit of a chat, both sizing each other up, and Sukune determines that Baki must also be a rikishi of the ancient style of sumo. While Baki and Dopo Orochi spend two issues giving the reader some background on sumo techniques and whatnot, Sukune meets up with Tokugawa, the rich old fuck who runs the underground <laughs> tournaments. They prepare a tournament pitting the might of ancient sumo against modern grand sumo, as well as the many other combat disciplines of Baki and his friends. Sukune's first fight is a friendly contest of strength with Biscuit Oliver. Hmm. They both end up breaking a few of each other's bones, but in a friendly way? <laughs> I mean, it was just friendly sparring. What was really funny is that seeing Biscuit Oliver in a mawashi, it was just ridiculous because <laughs> he got these big shoulders. He's very Dorito shaped. <laughs> he is. So, you know, big and wide across the top and then teeny tiny little ways with this mawashi just coiled around him. It was just goofy. So I can imagine, you know, Nomi no Sukune, who's built like an actual triangle, you know, wide <laughs> on the bottom, couldn't really get a grip on that teeny tiny little mawashi. So he just grabbed underneath his rib cage, 
broke a couple of them and just threw his ass. It was pretty brutal, but... Oh, my God. What if Biscuit's girlfriend, Maria, threw on a Mawashi oh and started doing sumo? She ain't like that. That's nothing she is oh, interested yeah, in. Oh, yeah, that's true. They got, they got their thing going on. She's a on. pampered little princess. <laughs> they have their whole thing going on. They're happy with it. Yeah. Just let it, yeah, let them do their thing. It's at this point that we start meeting some of the other sumo dudes. First, there's Ken Ryuzan, former Yokozuna, possible Takanohana avatar, and casual blackmailer of the Japanese Sumo Association. <laughs> no, that's it's supposed to be Takanohana, you can tell. Ken Ryuzan and Tokugawa start hashing out the logistics of a tournament, while Sukune goes out and picks a fight with an Ozeki on the streets of Tokyo, who bears a striking resemblance to Takayasu, easily beating him. No. It, it's it's Takayasu. No, but he's got COVID <laughs> right now. Well, this was pre-pandemic, you know. And back when he was an Ozeki. Back when he was an okay, Ozeki. Okay, okay, that's fine. This becomes a scandal for the JSA and an opportunity for Ken Ryuzan to convince Arashikawa, the chairman of the JSA, who appears to be a stand-in for Hikaku, that the only way for Grand Sumo to save face is to participate in the underground tournament. In the octagonal dohyo under the Tokyo Dome. The octagonal dohyo dome. I don't know. I'm just making up The dohyo dome. <laughs> <laughs> you Two know, men he, enter. He, yeah, he does describe it as... Two men enter, one man leaves. He, he totally kind of does. like it's Thunderdome, <laughs> the Tokyo Thunderdome. I, I, I bet Itagaki, I bet that was intentional. <laughs> Probably. Now, normally, it is forbidden for pro sumo wrestlers to compete in a serious competition against opponents who are not also pro sumo wrestlers. In fact, if a rikishi leaves pro sumo and wants to join the non-pro amateur sumo circuit, he's required to wait at least two years before he can start competing. Not so in the world of Baki. The pro rikishi who are picked to participate in this brutal competition are ecstatic that they're getting a chance to fight unfettered at their full capacity against a bunch of laymen. The pro rikishi who are chosen to participate include... Yokozuna Raiho, who is basically the stand-in for the greatest Yokozuna of all time, Hakuho. Except that everyone knew when Raiho was a kid, he was going to absolutely dominate at physical activities. Any physical activities. Any physical activities. Whereas Hakuho was originally kind of just seen as some lanky kid that probably wouldn't do that great at sumo. Uh, How wrong everyone was. I know, right? (laughs) Then we have the Ozeki Kyoge. Huge dude, over two meters tall. Possibly based on Gaita Zaiman, a legendary rikishi who shares the kanji for the word whale in their shikona. That's the sumo name. The sumo name, yeah. yeah. For those who don't know. Could also possibly be a nod to American amateur sumo champion Emmanuel Yarbrough, as he was the heaviest sumo wrestler ever, just like Kyoge is in the Bakiverse. He could also have some influence from Dewagatake, a rikishi who was born with gigantism and stood six foot nine, and possibly even our old grumpy uncle Tochinoshin. Gigantism isn't six foot nine. You have family members that are six foot nine. Yeah. A lot of Pawnees are six foot nine. Or bigger. But, you know, in Japan, six foot nine's fucking huge. Oh, yeah. That's that's probably true. Well, another one of the Rikishi joining the fray is Sekiwake Shishimaru, whom we are pretty sure is a tribute to Akinoshima, who was known as a giant slayer and would regularly take down Konishiki. 
There was also Sekiwaki Taketsurugi, most likely based on Asahi Kuni, the PhD of sumo, due to his skill and wide array of techniques, winning the Ginosho Technique Prize on six separate occasions. Similarly, Taketsurugi is referred to as the professor. Ooh, professor. Professor. <laughs> there is the Konosubi Hono-o, who's basically it, it, Inho. It's Inho. It's Inho. It's, it's definitely just You can tell Itagaki really wanted Inho to do well. And that's back when Inho was in Makauji. So he was like, oh, he's going to make Kamosubi. But mm-hmm. poor guy. Yeah, and this is probably why I get all fucking Tyra Banks about Inho, because <laughs> I just expected so much more from you, guy. <laughs> and then they have top-ranking Maegashira. They didn't specify exactly which Maegashira he was, but... Probably like a Maegashira one. Yeah. Top-ranking Maegashira, Shachihoko. Possibly based on a 19th century rikishi of the same name but bears a striking resemblance and fighting style to Abi. It, it's it's Abi. Yeah, it's basically Abi. That's actually all we really refer to him as <laughs> when we're talking about the manga is, you know, Abi. <laughs> <laughs> to get the pro Rikshi ready for the tournament, Tokugawa, you know, the rich old dude who funds everything, takes them to the arena under the Tokyo Dome, where they are astounded at the amount of teeth and nails and other human detritus <laughs> strewn about, where they then have to fight a bunch of MMA guys. Raiho defeats the undefeated MMA champion Chaos Iwanami with the Yagura Nage inner thigh throw. Then Hono'o goes up against light heavyweight MMA champion Kainuma Fumia, who calls him a girl in a derogatory manner right before Hono'o hospitalizes his ass. Good, fuck that guy. <laughs> Seriously. Kyoge then battles Inoda Kanon, the biggest, most hulking non-sumo fighter in all of Japan. Inoda is amazed by Kyoge's speed as he tries to go for a kick, and Kyoge not only intercepts the attack, but defeats Inoda and breaks the walls of the octagon with one single thrust. Just one. You're always breaking the walls of my octagon with, yeah. with your thrusts. <laughs> I'd do that. Then MMA light heavyweight Kuwata Takumi shows up in his tiger-striped Zubaz. No, I was jealous of those <laughs> pants. I want those fucking pants. He shows up and starts deriding the Rikshi as a bunch of fatties. Bastard. This pisses them all the fuck off. <laughs> So they put Taketsurugi up against him as they are both skilled technicians. Kuwata attacks with a quote-unquote mock kick. Like a kick that breaks the sound barrier. Yeah, okay. Okay. He goes for Taketsurugi's leg but finds he cannot lift him at all. At all. He then tries for his elbow. Taketsurugi takes advantage of this to execute a kotenage, locking arm throw, so fierce that it results in a severe avulsion fracture, leaving the area where his elbow is supposed to be looking like a big wad of spaghetti, pretty much. Even though it was a drawing, it was still gross. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was pretty nasty. <laughs> it was totally nasty. Shachihoko then squares off against Aaron Murase, a huge hairy dude with cauliflower ears who just loves to punch stuff. The rikishi prepares by doing extraordinarily high shiko. Another nod to Abi. <laughs> 
Shachihoko springs off the Tachiai, pinning Marase against the walls of the octagon. Then the slugfest begins. In true Abi fashion, he destroys Marase with the barrage of Supari, winning the match. Shishimaru then goes up against Miya. Is it Miya Iri? Miya Iri? Miya Iri? I'm going to say Miya Iri, just in case. I don't know. Yeah, Mi- we don't know. The anime hasn't come out yet, so we, we don't, don't have anything right. to base the pronunciation off of. <laughs> All right. Shishimaru then goes up against Miya Iri Rekuzo who is obviously a caricature of Conor McGregor, strutting around the arena like an overstuffed cock. (laughs) Shishimaru gets temporarily rendered unconscious with a knuckle shot to the temple, but immediately snaps to, grabs Rekuzo in a bear hug, and crushes his spine. Good. (laughs) (laughs) Upon hearing the outcome of these fights, Baki and all his friends start laughing hysterically at the fact that all the MMA fighters lost within a matter of seconds. So the day comes for the tournament to finally begin. Baki and his friends face their sumo opponents across the arena, both parties widely smiling at each other, just so excited at the opportunity to face off. It's actually kind of cute how much they're just, just looking at each other like, oh, look at this. They're just guys. cheesing real big. They are. They're just so stoked <laughs> to just pummel the shit out of each other. <laughs> oh, who's someone that, like, you were really excited to fight. I might've asked you this question already. Just Uh, name someone. Who's someone who (laughs) you've just been like, you knew you were going to fight them and you were like, Oh fuck. Yeah. This is so cool. Justin Kizzard. Yeah. Yeah. It was, he's a pretty skilled guy. Cause I hadn't been doing sumo for, I think it might've been about six months when I finally got to, you know, to fight Justin Kizzard, but I could tell like from his Tachi, his Tachi, I rippled through my entire body. You could see a shockwave mm-hmm. like in that video. <laughs> and then I was like, whoa, that's a pretty rough Tachi. And then he just kind of fucking just slammed me down. I was like <laughs> taken by surprise. I was like, huh, well, shit. It was very much like what uh, Justin Jones did to me too. Just mm-hmm. both in this almost exact same technique. I'm trying to think who I would be the most excited to fight. You know, I also want to say Robert. <laughs> you want to fight Robert? But I kind of feel like he'd just roll me up and stuff me in his duffel bag. <laughs> he'd probably just, he'd probably kyoge you just like one thrust and you'd fly out the other side of the ring. That's what the, he routinely does that to everybody at practice. So why don't you tell us about the first matchup? The first up is Shibukawa, the old Aiki master and the smallest of all Baki's cohorts. And of course, they pit him against the most big McLarge huge ricochet of the bunch, (laughs) Kyoge. Sukune remarks how Aiki is the opposite of Sumo. Both men enter the ring, Kyoge getting into Tachiai position, and Shibukawa just standing there, expressionless. They just kind of stare at each other for a while, until curious, Kyoge stands up, walks over to Shibukawa, and grabs him by his jacket. Shibukawa grabs his wrist and immediately Kyoge feels the sensation of numbness all over his body like a huge weight on his back, which caused him to panic and go for a harite slap. Shibukawa used the momentum of this slap to throw Kyoge and the giant whale of a rikishi went airborne. In true sumo fashion, however, he ends up landing on his feet. Everyone is amazed the Ozeki withstood the secret art of Aiki. The JSA guys are shocked. How could such a puny man throw such a powerful rikishi? Kyoge tries a couple more harite, finally landing one that causes Shibukawa to soar through the air, only to also land on his feet. 
It's at this point that Shibukawa then suggests some good old-fashioned grappling, which Kyoge is totally down for. I mean, if they're just going to keep acting like a couple of cats. (laughs) (laughs) The Ozeki tries to lift the tiny man, but is completely unable to do so. Again, he feels that immense weight upon his back, which he likens to a massive condom full of water. What the fuck? Yeah, that he goes into this whole story about filling up a condom with water, watching it get big, and he just felt like he had this enormous, giant, like, lake-sized Man, condom strapped to his back. He is such a weird fucking manga. <laughs> it is. That's going. why I love it. He remarks that Aiki is magical, but that it's a rikishi's job to repel magic. They then take turns throwing each other and landing deftly on their feet until both fighters grab each other's belts to start the true grappling. Kyoge uproots Shibukawa and tosses his ass into the stands, causing his glass eye to be crushed. Shibukawa then re-enters the ring, remarking that there's no reason to stop now and that this is not a typical fight. Kyoge is apprehensive at the potential consequences of continuing, which enrages Shibukawa, who leaps up and pokes out Kyoge's eye to even the odds. He then jams his fingers up Kyoge's nose, the pain of which causes him to leap into the air, giving the old man the opportunity to slam his face right into the ground. Winning the fight. That was a fucking brutal finish. Like, just watching how enraged he is. Just how pissed off he is. He's like, don't you fucking look down just on me. Just doing the fucking Beatrix kiddo with the plucking <laughs> the eye He's out. Like, <laughs> Damn. Yeah, that was, that was pretty badass. But they were friendly to each other afterwards, regardless. Yeah, true. Still. (laughs) See, I've been friends with lots of people I've gotten into fights with. I don't know if I could still be friends with someone who pulls my goddamn eye out. Uh -uh. Uh -uh. I'd be pretty pissed about that shit. I'd be taking the path of Ellie Driver. Up next is Dopo Orochi, who is so stoked to start his fight that he literally starts drooling (laughs) from excitement as they match him up with Taketsurugi. Dopo, unable to help himself in all of his ecstasy, charges to Katsurugi, eventually managing to kick the Rikshi's ear clean the <laughs> fuck off. This doesn't fade to Katsurugi, who proceeds to knock him down with a flurry of Supari. Orochi gets back up and taunts the Rikshi, but only manages to get his own arm completely fucking mangled by Taketsurugi. Fucking mangled. At this point, the barrage of hits he's endured so far starts to catch up with him, weakening him severely. But he is not going to let it slow him down that easily. He gives a mighty roar of Doskoi and continues his assault on Dopo Orochi. Orochi manages to avoid most of it except for a powerful kick to his already completely busted arm and a crunching headbutt to the face which takes him down again. Taketsurugi raises his leg as if to stomp down on his opponent's face, but Dopo counters with a leg sweep. Taketsurugi's balance is so good that he is able to avoid falling by balancing on one toe. But while he is balancing there all graceful-like, <laughs> Dopo Orochi administers a kick to the back of the Rikshi's head, ending the match. As a sign of goodwill, he gives him his ear back, which Taketsurugi crushes in his hand before flipping himself onto his back as a sign of accepting his own defeats. Now we have Shachihoko 
Shachihoko is so excited that he starts jumping up and down that he gets to fight Haneyama. Haneyama strolls up in his three-piece suit, alligator skin shoes, halfway into a bottle of wild turkey, doesn't even take his glasses off. Rude. (laughs) At one point, Haneyama was being considered as a recruit for Grand Sumo, but the JSA rejected him on account of all of his cool as fuck tattoos because they're a bunch of stuffy old men. Hanayama. That's true in real life, too, though. <laughs> it's Tattoos are different in Japan. I know they are, but still. <laughs> Boo. Hanayama. Boo, JSA. <laughs> Boo. Continue. Hanayama winds all the way up further than any baseball pitcher or discus thrower would even do and punches Shachihoko in the face, giving him a torrential nosebleed that just won't quit. Even though Shachihoko lands on his back after such a powerful punch, he does not accept this as defeat. Hanayama then puts his arms up and just lets Shachihoko well on him for a while. They then trade places, and the rikishi, proclaiming it's his turn, invites Hanayama to start hitting him unopposed. Hanayama winds up again and lands a colossal, flawlessly centered blast to Shachihoko's face, And then an uppercut to the chin that knocks him out long enough for Hanayama to restyle his hair, put his glasses back on, smoke a cigarette. (laughs) When Shachihoko regains consciousness, Hanayama asks him if he wants to continue, and the rikishi declines, giving the win to Hanayama. And then they drink. (laughs) (laughs) I can't really say I I would blame him. Although I would totally drink with Hanayama. (laughs) I would totally do that. And then... Bitch about the JSA with him. He'd probably want to go fight somebody like out in the street and you'd have to like back up and just let Hanayama just beat the shit out of whoever. That's fine. I'll be there like taking video the whole time and then post it on fucking Worldstar. Watch me. I'll do that shit. Can you imagine watching walking the streets of Tokyo with Hanayama? Worldstar. <laughs> yes. Yes, I can. <laughs> Well, Katsumi had developed a visualization technique that allowed him to treat his whole body like a whip. Unfortunately, this technique could not be executed fast enough against his opponent, Shishimaru, as the Rikishi caught him in a Yaguranage inner thigh throw before he could attack. Katsumi lands on the ground and the Rikishi starts stomping the shit out of him. Katsumi manages to get back on his feet only to run away from Shishimaru. Everyone is stunned, thinking Katsumi is retreating, but he was merely trying to get enough distance on the Rikishi to wind up his whipping technique for a brutal kick to the face. Shishimaru then proceeds to beat the everlasting dog shit out of Katsumi. (laughs) The arm that Katsumi inherited from his dead homie then becomes possessed by his spirit, and he starts kicking Shishimaru's ass in a completely different style of fighting as the spirit takes over his whole body. Despite the match now technically being two against one, Shishimaru is still standing. He eventually manages to pin down Katsumi and headbutt him in the face. To escape, Katsumi squeezes the Rikishi's balls, <laughs> escapes the pin, and then remarks on how huge his package is. He does. <laughs> before soccer kicking him in the face. Katsumi goes in for a finishing blow, but stops just millimeters from his face, turns around, and walks out of the arena, leaving Shishimaru the winner. When asked why he forfeited the fight, Katsubi responds that he just couldn't allow himself to push it that far. 
just to see what would happen. And then Baki Ooh. says, ooh, just nah. like that guy. That's a major spoiler we're not going to give away. <laughs> That's one that, yeah, we're not giving that one away. Although anyone that remotely knows anything about Baki. You'll know. They'll know. You'll yeah. know. It's then Baki's turn to go up against Enho. I mean, Hono'o. Hono'o. <laughs> in the ring. <laughs> Both are relatively smaller men who regularly battle dudes much larger than them. They both start out in low stances, but no Tachi position. They lock hands facing each other, but with lightning speed, Hono'o is able to get behind Baki before he even has time to react. Baki starts to sense that this Rikishi, who is almost the same size as Baki himself, has the ring presence of a colossal giant. Hono'o throws him, but he definitely lands on his feet. Baki assumes his usual fighting stance and starts to imagine himself as a giant imposing figure, which Hono'o starts to perceive himself. Baki then jabs Hono'o so forcefully that it knocks his chonmage loose. Chonmage being the fancy word for the sumo hairstyle, for those who don't know. And then knocks him on his ass. He stands back up only for Baki to knock him right back down. Hono'o then decides to finally assume his tachiai position. We then get two whole chapters about how Baki can move like a cockroach. (laughs) (laughs) Baki wins the tachiai with his cockroach strength. His rochi sense was tingling. (laughs) But Hono'o throws him and he lands in the stands. Baki then goes for a jump kick to the face, but there's nothing there. He then feels a pair of arms wrap around him from behind that then suplex him into the wall. They then start competing to see who is the fastest, each attempting to swiftly position behind the other before they can notice, but they are both too fast for each other. Baki then suggests that they just have an all-out slugfest. Hono'o ends up being the first to throw a punch, but Baki is quicker with this counterattack and ends up knocking out the Rikishi, ending the match. And maybe, like I said before... This is why I'm so disappointed in Inho's recent performance. I guess I just have a hard time differentiating oh. fantasy from reality <laughs> because when we're we watch videos on YouTube that are basically the Baki manga, yeah. so we don't have to read it because somebody else is reading it to us. Because you know we're adults, and we have shit to do, and so in my mind, this character is Inho. But then I watch the Ba show, and it's like Inho, how are you that far down? Jurio already. What the hell? <laughs> He's going to come man. back. Him and Atami Fuji are going to go to the Makauchi division. Damn it. I still believe in him. I still, I still believe, believe he him, can though. pull himself back up. We then have the descendant of one of the ancient progenitors of Sumo, Nomi no Sukune, facing off against the Yokozuna Raiho, the ultimate showdown between modern Sumo and ancient Sumo. They both start doing shiko like a couple of peacocks fanning out their enormous plumage (laughs) at each other. Kenryuzan advises Sukude to draw out the match as long as he can to wear down Raiho's stamina. But Sukude responds that he won't even need to. The two opponents synchronize their breathing like in a modern sumo bout and then launch into the tachiai where Raiho lends a kachiage upward folded arm strike to Sukune's neck. Oh, so basically like Hakuho's forearm blast. (laughs) Forearm blasted him pretty much. And lands a harite to his face. Ah, yes. Very Hakuho-esque. <laughs> this harite slap ends up busting out Sukune's eardrum. In retribution, Sukune scooped his fingers under Raiho's bottom ribs, grabbing him by his rib cage and slamming him into the ground. Ow. 
He then picks him up by his shoulder blade and slams him on the other side. This ends the match. The Yokozuna loses just like that. And the crowd goes absolutely chunko fucking wild. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah! (laughs) Baki and his allies are declared the victors, but absolutely no one is looking down upon Grand Sumo whatsoever. And that's sort of the point of why Itagaki wrote the Sumo arc. It was his love letter to Grand Sumo. It's not unheard of for sumo to be derided by practitioners of other combat sports, saying it's ineffective in actual combat or doesn't allow for any ground game. So the fact that Itagaki's characters, who are all coming from other combat traditions, can still walk away with so much respect for it really says something. Even though he, of course, had to have his main boys win, it still reflects the deep respect that Japanese culture has for sumo and how integral it is to Japanese identity. As mentioned before, the Baki sumo arc is still ongoing. Mm -hmm. After the tournament, Nomi no Sukune has an encounter with Baki's father, Yujiro Hanma, and has a brief street fight rematch with the Yokozuna Raiho. Jack Hanma, Baki's half-brother, also makes an appearance to show off his bite-foo. He's called Godo, proclaiming he's ready to take a bite out of sumo. Okay, McGrove. (laughs) You may have also recently heard some real-life news about the Seshoseki, which is a sacred boulder said to have a kitsune demoness imprisoned within it for the past thousand years. And that's basically a, like a chaotic fox spirit. It had mysteriously cracked in two back in March of this year, freaking out all of Japan. And in the Bakiverse, this was said to have heralded the return of Taima no Kahaya, the dude that Sukune defeated in the first ever sumo match. As of the last issue, he and Yujiro Hanma are currently just kicking each other in the balls for funsies. Yeah. <laughs> just for fun. Yeah. And the whole thing, it's, there's something about the name Taima no Kahaya that denotes kicking. And that's why he's such a kicker and he kicked this, this whole boulder thing and they keep kicking each other in the balls. That's because his name means kick. And there's a whole lot of kanji-based puns in this. And it's, it's sometimes it's difficult for American or just other non-Japanese speakers to kind of pick up on this stuff. It's just so weird. You know, kanji is a different type of alphabet than what our Roman asses are used to. Yeah, well, it was like the one character, Kyoge, who shared the kanji in his shikona, his sumo name, with the real-life sumo wrestler Gaita Zaimon. Oh, the kanji for whale? Yeah, and the kanji re- for whale, because they they're both whales. a whale of a dude. <laughs> There's another joke in the, I think it's the first or second issue of the sumo arc where they're doing the flashback of the original historical fight, like actual historical fight of Nomi no Sukune and Taima no Kahaya, where they say they set foot upon each other, which is a pun that comes from the kanji for the word sumo. Yeah, if you if you actually know <laughs> Japanese, it's pretty pretty clever, honestly. <laughs> pretty clever and pretty funny, but it's just one of those things that doesn't translate as well into English or doesn't translate as well for western audiences who don't have those cultural intuitive ways of reading those yeah. things, you know? 
But it's still super fucking entertaining. It really is. And, and even, and I was lucky enough to read a fan translation uh, where they would explain those puns and those kanji jokes. And at the time that they were writing and releasing, you know, the sumo arc is also around the time that we, that we were really picking up on watching all of the grand sumo tournaments. So he yeah. was actually talking about the grand sumo tournaments at the end of each of the Baki chapters. And I was just in sumo hog heaven. It's fucking great. And this is also another manga and anime series that has been given as reasons for why a lot of the people we've talked to have gotten into sumo recently. Exactly. So if any of you have ever heard Khalil Collins, uh, seen him at Nationals, seen him at, uh, oh gosh, where else was he? He was on Grand Sumo Breakdown. He was on Sumo Kaboom too, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Khalil, his inspiration is the sumo arc of Baki with Mm -hmm. Nomi no Sukune. And I can see why. It is really fucking cool. I mean, I have heard some people that kind of have complained about the sumo arc just because it's a little bit out of the ordinary for what Baki has done in the past. Well, and it's also out of the ordinary for a Western audience that isn't really used to sumo in the way that a Japanese audience That's is. exactly what I was going to say, mm-hmm. is that, you know, a lot of the Western world just sees it as fat guys hugging in diapers at high speed, which annoys the shit out of me. <sighs> But it's so much more than that. And there is so much encoded into sumo that is indicative of Japanese culture at large. And it's just, it's so much bigger. There's just so much there. And it just really, it's disheartening sometimes to see how Western audiences don't really get that. But if you know those nuances, if you know those representations, and you're just more familiar with sumo and how it relates to Japanese culture, reading this Baki sumo arc really is enriching and enlightening and I really fucking enjoyed it and I think you guys will too. Well and if you know anything about sumo as a combat sport you would know about its merits in that realm you know and how techniques that are used in sumo can be used in all other sorts of combat sports just to you know make you a better fighter make you better at what you do even if you don't like to do just sumo itself there's a lot that you can learn from sumo and sumo itself is pretty fucking fun yeah there are a lot of people that are gold medal that are incredible at sumo that actually do practice other martial arts. Martial arts that some people would say are more combat effective, whatever Mm. that means. But sumo can help improve your ring sense. It can help improve your throws. Whenever you're doing open weight, you're going to fight people bigger than you, bigger and stronger than you. And that is automatically going to make you a better fighter. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you think about it like this, when sumo first started, it was rough and tumble, fighting out in the streets, butt naked, Kicking, punching, breaking bones, gouging eyes, you know, all that good shit. Basically, it was Krav Maga, Pancration, uh, some kind of combat system like that. But it was kind of toned down, you know, to be more palatable to the nobles, which we all know we've gone over this history in previous Mm -hmm. episodes. But sumo, even if you just take the lifts, the throws, all of that stuff, you're talking about samurai in heavy ass armor Mm -hmm. so if you lose your sword you lose your wakazashi you don't have a naganata what have you got you're going to be able to lift this huge motherfucking dude in full armor and throw his ass down 
them down into the ground. And hopefully find your little dagger to poke them in the throat. <laughs> and about combat effectiveness, I mean, come on. We know enough about the various different martial arts traditions to know that there are plenty of them out there that are not very combat effective. What was that one that... Uh... Oh, the uh, guy from China that was going around beating the shit out of the fake masters? I'm not talking about the fake ones, the Bullshito. <laughs> I'm talking about ones that are actually still widely practiced today. I think one of them yeah. was the one that uh, Bruce Lee had originally started oh, with. Oh, Kundo. Yeah. And uh, what was it? No, no, that was the one he developed. He originally did... Um, Wing Chun. Wing Chun. That's yeah. what it was. But, you know, Wing Chun, that has its own interdisciplinary drama going on with both sides calling each other the f- the false whatever yeah, who cares yeah, yeah. but there are also other martial arts like kali or escrima practiced in the philippines mm-hmm. uh that one gets derided a lot for not being combat effective mm-hmm. uh silat is a malaysian martial art it's really fucking cool looking and it's really fast but people say oh well it's flashy but it's not combat effective they also use know. they use black magic in Sealot too, which I always thought was really <laughs> fucking cool. It, most people don't know about uh, Gatka, which is the Sikh martial art, but I'm sure there's people out there that have said that that one's not very combat effective either, because it does involve a lot of specialized weapons and you know stuff like that yeah. that you're not going to really have around. But and another another that... Indian martial art, Kalare Payata, which is supposed mm. to be the progenitor of kung fu and karate and yeah. you know all of these other East Asian martial arts it all started from this ancient style that was apparently taught to everyone by bodhidharma yeah but see the point is there are plenty of combat sports out there or martial arts traditions that people say aren't quote unquote combat effective that people still love and it just seems like sumo just gets shat on all the time probably because it is a lot of fat dudes and people don't think that people with that body type are going to be able to do effective combat of any kind are they forgetting Tank Abbott Jesus (laughs) Tank Abbott I don't think he even had like a style I think he was just a dude you just give him some vodka and he would just (laughs) haul off and beat the dog shit out of people so I think in ancient times sumo was these rough and tumble fucking giant dudes just beat the dog shit out of each other. But it also was used as a form of entertainment uh, whenever soldiers were off at war and they were just camping, eating, drinking sake, doing some sumo. And that's what a lot of other martial arts had developed into, a form of entertainment. Yeah. You know, kung fu, fucking whatever. I mean, look at like what capoeira is now. Capoeira is another Mm -hmm. one that is like flashy and rooted in dance that has a lot of history to it. They had to do it that way though to hide what they were doing because they were slaves in South America. But it gets derided as being not combat effective. Man, I dare you to say that to Latif Crowder's face. (laughs) Motherfuckers. Food eaters. (laughs) Well, that is the Baki Sumo arc, at least up until now. I highly recommend that you read it because you really just got to see Itagaki's artwork. You got to get these puns. You got to see the motion, the look on these Rikishi's faces. It is beautiful. Absolutely fucking gorgeous. And the way that he draws anatomy is just out of this world. It is a very unique art style. And yeah, can be kind of... um... Suggestive at times, (laughs) but you know, if that doesn't bother you, then I definitely suggest going ahead and checking it out because it is really fucking good. I usually don't get too into the shonen stuff just because it seems like it's kind of 
always the same thing over and over again. Baki's different, though. Baki's pretty fucking cool. (laughs) It it does have a couple of those shonen tropes, but it could kind of hang a lampshade on a few of them, turn a few on their head. It really is an amazing read. 30 years worth of story. You will not be bored. Well, it's time to talk about what we're listening to while practicing our sweet, sweet sumo moves this week. (laughs) And I want to talk about something that came out the same year that Baki did. Ooh. The Blatt's Filth shit split oh my god that's fucking classic i fucking love that record so there's like a couple different versions it's been bounced around a little bit so the original one was on lookout records which is the same label green day was on back in like the late 80s early 90s so you know while green day was doing their little poppy thing blats and filth were fucking being scummy as fuck (laughs) and fucking drunk as shit writing songs about making homemade speed (laughs) breaking bottles over nazis heads and fucking that was fucking punk back in those days that was some some shit hence the name shit split so the original incarnation was just you know it was just an lp with filth and blats there was a cd version that was later released that was kind of like a discography for both bands so it had a seven inch with blats as well as their side of the shit split lp and there was also like a lost demo tape kind of weird recordings that were just really really cruddy but Super fucking cool. And on the filth side, they had the Live the Chaos 7-inch first. Then it was their side of the shit split. And then a couple of random compilation tracks. And then it was their demo tape from way back when, which was like super filthy. So they started out on Lookout Records. It got sold to Dystopia's record label, which was Life is Abuse. Like oh around... my god, I love Dystopia. I <laughs> we should talk about Dystopia one of these days. We should. But here recently, the record had been released by Alternative Tentacles, which is Jello Biafra from Dead Kennedy's record label. So I had to tell you the history of it to let you know how prolific this record has been since it was released in 1991. And this it's is... It's been around. This is 2022. So it's been some time. And I do want to start this all off by recommending a documentary about the Bay Area punk scene in Mm. the late 80s, early 90s. And it's kind of told from the point of view of Green Day and Rancid, you know, (laughs) but it's really good. It really does go into detail about a lot of these lesser known bands like Blatz and Filth. It's called Turn It Around, the story of East Bay Punk. It came out in like 2017. Super fucking nostalgic. It's it's fucking fantastic. It's great. What's really cool about Blatz, though, is that they're just so, they're gross. Like, even their (laughs) sound is gross. They're just really discordant. None of them can sing, which is good. I think they purposefully sing off-key a lot of the time. Oh, yeah, they totally do. Yeah, it's all off-key, so it's barely in tune, and it's brilliant. They have lovely songs about such subjects as fucking shit up and which cities they hate and speed doing lots of drugs (laughs) making their own drugs it's fantastic they have a couple of cover songs that i really like they They do have some good cover songs yeah they cover i don't care about you by fear and they also cover nausea by x and they're really good renditions especially if you like your punk a little bit more filthy a little less polished and a little bit more on the um the gross side but they do have that one track and you know which one i'm talking about that's just inexplicably kind of sweet but somber at the same time 
Oh, Lullaby? Yeah. Lullaby is... probably the best song that they have outside of Fuck Shit Up, <laughs> which is just their most fun song. Yeah. But Lullaby is definitely one that I would recommend uh, if you want to hear a good Blatt song. Uh, if you want to hear a fun Blatt song, maybe start with Fuck Shit Up or but, Homemade Speed. <laughs> but Lullaby is a really good fucking song, and it actually is in tune, and it's uh, it's really poetic. And I It's just, more spoken word a little bit. Yeah, and I don't know, it just speaks to me. They actually kind of have a little bit of carryover with that song with Filth. So Filth actually has a verse in one of their songs that shares the same lyrics. I mean, it's a totally different song in attitude and subject matter, but they still have that little verse. Sleep, little one, sleep. Take comfort in the night's embrace. The morning sun will open your eyes and you'll see that you live in a fucked up place. Yeah, it's it's different when Filth does it than when Blatz does it. You know, Sabrina said that it's a little bit more sweet, but when Filth does it, it's a little bit, I don't know, it's unhinged. Yeah. <laughs> But Filth, on the other side, is they're intentionally discordant. You know, like Blatz, it kind of sounds like it maybe just kind of happened on accident. But Filth, like especially that bass player, their bass player is really fucking badass with what he does. He just kind of muddles it just right and makes it sound just fucked up enough for it to be just wretched. I don't know how else to describe it. It's so fucking great. So Filth is very unhinged and very angry, very primal fucking band. And like whenever I was younger, I really wanted to like model my voice after Jake from Filth. I just really wanted to to just have that. But if you pay attention to the lyrics, a lot of that is actually really sweet. They have songs about love. You know, they have songs about um, the really introspective kind of shit that you wouldn't really expect from guys that also have songs about needles hanging from their veins and fucking breaking bottles over the, the heads of Nazis. And not just about love, but about like growing as a person to be able to love better. Yeah, exactly. Which I thought was pretty cool. But then again, they also have songs like Night of Rage. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but they are punk as fuck. It's not just, oh my God, we're just going to go hang out in a fucking parking lot and drink all the time. It's like they're wrestling with some painful shit and you could really tell and not just filth but blats as well there's like a, a kind of angst there's like this feeling <laughs> that you really don't have a future you know just disaffected youth and when i was a Punk kid has angst <laughs> no well, way and i'm comparing it to their contemporaries green day and rancid green day and rancid don't have the type of angst that filth and blats do no. And, you know, they're really, Green Day and Rancid are really polished. You know, they're really, you know, good musicians. I'm not saying that Blatz and Filth aren't good musicians because some of their other projects are really good. It's just that they're intentionally ugly. Mm -hmm. And if you want your punk to be fucking ugly, this is the shit that you really got to fucking just really sink your teeth into. And when yes. you listen to it, you're like, this is from 1991? What the fuck was I even listening to? I was listening to Soundgarden? What the hell? I was listening to Salt and Pepper. <laughs> <laughs> and and not to, you know, poop on anyone's Soundgarden parade. I mean, Bad Motorfinger's a bad motherfucker. <laughs> but this is just different. It hits different. And you're going to be very hard-pressed to find anything after the year 2000 that's comparable. That's why it's been bounced around to all these different record labels. Really fucking good. Highly fucking recommended. Get the CD version if you can. It's got everything. If you get the vinyl version because you're a fucking goddamn collector nerd like me, make sure you get the seven inches too. 
Well, you guys know where to find us. You can email us at sumopunks at gmail.com. We are also on all the social meds, Facebook and Instagram and all that jazz as sumopunks. And of course, punks is with an X. If you're looking for us on Twitter, remember, I fucked up the Twitter account. So it's punks sumo. And we also have a Redbubble shop, so go check that out as well. All you got to do is search for Redbubble Sumo Punks. There's a new design coming up. I synced it. Mm -hmm. It is so fucking cool. It's got butt cheeks. It's got butt cheeks. (laughs) (laughs) Next week, we're going to begin our Nagoya Basho coverage, so definitely check us out for that. And if you want to leave us a comment about why you think Baki is great why you think the sumo arc sucks or why you think we suck, go ahead and send us a comment anywhere you like. Talk shit to us. I dare you. Until (laughs) Nagoya. Bye. Bye.